Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. And if you listen to the last episode, uh, my friend Mason and I were working through chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians, uh, trying to, you know, obviously figure out what, what is Paul saying about these more miraculous gifts of tongues and prophecy. And that episode kind of got away from us, went really long, so I had to split it up into two parts. So this is part two of that longer episode as we work through those few chapters. And so we are going to uh, begin in verse 6 of chapter 14 in this second part. So I hope you enjoy. We'll jump right into that original discussion. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Wait a minute. We got to back up. God, this is going to take forever. We didn't talk about the whole idea of, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So, okay. Right. So he's saying when you prophesy, you're actually you're actually doing what gifts are supposed to do. Yeah. You're upbuilding and encouraging and, cons- and consoling the body right. and people. Yeah. Great. That's what they're for. Mm-hmm. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Yeah. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So that's where you remember I said that like I see that as like kind of like a kind of a jab. Yeah. Because does he say later that the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself? Or is that, that is or, this, is that it? Yeah. Yeah. So now plenty I I will I will say maybe I overstated it in the last podcast cuz some of the most brilliant New Testament scholars don't see this as sarcasm, if that makes sense, right. or as a jab. Yeah, I do, I do, and I do because one, he's contrasting it with the right use of a gift, prophecy, in that it consoles and encourages and builds up, mm-hmm. and then they've been neglecting this gift of tongues and using it improperly. Yeah, and now he tells us how because they've been using it to build up themselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, one, well, how? Well, because they use it as a way to elevate themselves right. and create divisions. Yeah. So my point is, is that if we don't go any further, tongues in the continuationist movement often is pitched as, as like a private prayer language. Yeah. And they use, I mean, we would use the, he speaks not to men, but to yep. God, utters mysteries well, and, in the spirit. And we'll get it on further. There's actually better verses to ground that. Sure. Right. Edifies himself. Yeah. That's something pro- I would. Paul even saying that I use this. More than all of you. And more than all of you. Right. And yet, right, right before he said that, he says, hey, I'd rather speak five words with my mind than. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a little. A, a little resistance to this, like to seeing this as sarcasm would be like if, well, a couple. So if he was, if edifying oneself or if building oneself up is is wrong, in Jude, uh, verse 20 of, I think it's verse 20. Yeah, verse 20 of Jude, he says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. And I don't. I'm not saying that praying in the Holy Spirit is tongues. Uh, I I don't think that's what it is. You know, I I don't think that that yeah yeah is always tongues. Right. Um, but but he's saying, but you, you know, 
he's it's a it's he's it's an encouragement to to build oneself up in in holy faith and and praying so if building yourself up is wrong like why would we read our bibles why would we you know pray and all that stuff and i'm not saying that i think yeah we do do that yeah i'm saying that but in this case he's like rebuking them well that 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 the gifts the spiritual gifts are for consoling, edifying, encouraging others. Yeah. Yes. And so that when I'm in my own private, you know, room, edifying or building up myself in the faith, mm-hmm. I'm not exercising spiritual gifts. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Spiritual that, gifts are for the building of right. the Right. That's, that's yeah. my argument. I'm not exercising a spiritual gift. Because I, I, what I'm saying is that and the necessary ingredient for an exercisement of the gift is somebody in front of me. That makes sense. That makes sense. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, so an improper use of tongues yeah. is making it for building up myself. Right, and he's already ha- outlined the the best use of tongues is having an interpretation, so that it builds up. Yeah, so that it builds. That's up what it's up. for. And I would say, like, uh, that the it seems as though the the other use for tongues is building oneself up. Is yeah, the way I would take it. Right, and continuationists do. Yeah, they have to. They have to get there. They usually sure. they get there, and yes. it's usually from later on verses. So yeah. we'll keep going. Yeah, yeah. Verse six. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues. How will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. If I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So, now, there has been arguments from your position. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware that they say, well... There's no way that the tongues of Corinth is known languages. Right. Because, because he wouldn't have used an analogy yeah. or an illustration of known languages to illustrate what is already that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have heard that. Yeah. I think that's acceptable. I don't think it's like... I don't think that's... that's Super like, yeah. That's not a slam dunk. Right. Anyway, um... I think it's more of just a, a distinguishing between well tongues. What I'm saying is tongues is is the miraculous speaking of known languages without having learned them. And then he just uses an illustration of just of just people who speak different languages because they're from a different nation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the same thing. Like again, the point is is hey, if nobody can understand you, no good. No yeah, bueno. Yeah, sure. yeah, no bueno. No bueno. Yes. And also, I mean, getting to the core, because we've been, we've, we, we've gone off on, I've gone off on rabbit trails here and there. A lot of rabbit trails we have run down. But his, Paul's point is is clear throughout 1 Corinthians, that like the point of the spiritual gifts are to build up the body, to unify, yeah. 
to encourage, console, comfort, and that he wants unity in the body of Christ, which is why we, we, it's definitely grieving to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit to be so divisive. Like, and I'm not saying it's it's wrong to crit, to criticize, even call out publicly people who are who are false teachers or who are using the spiritual gifts to elevate themselves or to degrade other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but among brothers, like we're doing, discussion never hurt anybody because we've gone places in, just in the course of this discussion where it's made me think, and I'm like, huh. I need to I need to do I need to get in the word more on this specific topic especially about like the continuity or discontinuity between the Old Testament and New Testament prophets. It's something I've heard about a lot but I've never done like deep dives into. And I think when when we can maintain unity and to have these kind of discussions right. it's so helpful. Can I can I read a uh, an extended quote from a guy who's a continuationist but I'm going to use him in favor of my position? Sure. Is, is it DA Carson? <laughs> is it is that a is that fair? That's fair to me. <laughs> Who is it? D.A. Carson. Okay, yeah, go okay, ahead. This is, this is in reference to what tongues is. Okay. And this is why. This is actually the, the couple paragraphs that I read when I was really re- wrestling with all this, mm-hmm. like a number of years ago. <laughs> this is the, the passage or whatever that I'm he like. converted you to cessationism. Cessationism from yeah. the continuationist. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, um, I'm just going to jump in. Uh, he goes, certainly tongues and acts exercise some different functions from those in 1 Corinthians. But there is no substantial evidence that suggests Paul thought the two were essentially different. We have established high probability, I think, that Paul believed the tongues about which he wrote in 1 Corinthians were cognitive. But before any sweeping conclusions can be drawn, another question must be brought to be brought to bear. What bearing does the discipline of linguistics have on the assessment of modern tongues? To my knowledge, there is universal agreement among linguists who have Mm -hmm. taped and analyzed thousands of examples of modern tongue speaking that the contemporary phenomenon is not any human language. The patterns and structures that all known human language requires are simply not there. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, a recognizable word slips out, but this is statistically likely given the sheer quantity of verbalization. Some weird name, Jaquette. (laughs) <laughs> Jacquet's conclusion <laughs> is unavoidable. We are dealing here not with language, but with verbalization, verbalizations which sp- superficially resemble language in certain of its structural aspects. Mm. When studies have been made of tongues uttered in different cultures and linguistic environments, several startling conclusions have presented themselves. The tongues phenomena have been related to the speaker's natural language, Example, a German or French tongue speaker will not use one of the two English th, th, th sounds, mm-hmm. and English tongue speakers will never include the U sound of French crew. Moreover, the stereotypical utterance of any culture mirrors that of the person who guided the glossialist into the behavior. Mm. There is little variation of sound patterns within the group arising around a particular guide, even though other studies show that the tongue's pattern of each speaker are usually identifiable from those of others and a few tongue speakers use two or more discrete patterns in any case modern tongues are lexically uncommunicative Mm -hmm. and the few instances of reported modern xenoglossia are so poorly attested that no weight can be laid on them so that's kind of my point for cessationism there because we have no like actual we don't observe xenoglossia 
right uh my definition of tongues and that's why i think it the gift has ceased he continues what falls from this information question mark for some the evidence is so powerful that they conclude that the only biblical position is that no known contemporary gifts of tongues is biblically valid. And that's where I came to the conclusion. And ideally, the entire practice should be stopped immediately. (laughs) For others, such as Packer, modern tongues are not like biblical tongues, and therefore contemporary tongue speakers should not claim that their gift is in line with Pentecost or with Corinth. Yet on the other hand, the modern phenomenon seems to do more good than harm. It has helped many believers in worship, prayer, and commitment and therefore should probably be assessed as a good gift from God that nevertheless stands without an explicit biblical warrant. I cannot think of a better way of displeasing both sides of the current debate. <laughs> That's what Car- Carson says to Packer. So where does he stand? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. No <laughs> kidding. J.I. <laughs> Packer. Um, where does uh, Carson fall on it? So I can't remember exactly. He articulates his position in the very in the very end of the book and. That's right. I, I haven't reread that part. So his position is that, is that it has to be it has to be cognitive. It has to be um, like there has to be a code with it. It has to be. It can't just be gibberish. But it might not be. If I remember right, it might tongues might not be, uh, like Arabic or Chinese or something right. like that. But still, still have the structure of a language. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's possible. Um, what it's is po- that? What re, like hearing that? What does that make you think? You go, hmm. I've I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, and I've especially heard like about the the uh, the analyzations of of tongues, how they have not been able to come up. Like it's not it's not any known language. Yeah, they know that for sure. So I, I'm not under the impression that sometimes I'm speaking in Spanish or something. Right. I mean, I could be. I don't know. Um, but I don't think I am. Uh, so I take that and I say, well, it doesn't really, it doesn't really prove anything one way or another to me. Like the, I, I, I never thought that, that, uh, that it was always a known language in the first place. I think that it, it, it can be what some would call like a prayer language. A la- I'm, I know I'm speaking to God. I know what I'm doing is pleasing to God. Because I'm I'm glorifying him with it, I'm edifying myself up. I think it falls in line with scripture. So I haven't really put a lot of thought into like what lexically I am doing. Mm-hmm. Like what is it? Is it an actual? But his, lang- his point is is that, like, based upon the exegesis of scripture, and our lexical studies, um, we if if he's saying that modern tongues is not biblical tongues, that was his conclusion. I don't think that's D.A. Carson's conclusion. Yeah, it was his conclusion. Well, he's but he's a continuationist, though. Right. So I don't I don't think that that's his just like his firm conclusion. And even even if it is, that's an argument from authority. So I don't just have to concede it. Right. That's yeah. I know. Okay. But that's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to read that. You you have made your point though that it is if you if you want modern tongues you have to say you have to say. What what's happening today? It's not known languages. Yep, and so you got to deal with that. Yep. So what what is it? Is that how it was in Corinth? Were some known languages and some not? Is that how it was in Acts? You do need to reckon with that. Right. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. Verse thirteen. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. 
For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what he what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. If I thank God that I speak in I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. So again, context, context, context. They're elevating tongues. He's bringing them back down to balance. Yeah. Uh, now, here's how I read where we're going to have a disagreement, I think, uh, is basically verse 15. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Right. I'm saying that that, that is... Well, let me just ask you. Maybe, maybe we don't disagree. What? How do you interpret that? What do you mean? What does he? What do you think he means by that? I think he's. I've always taken them to mean that when he prays in tongues, he he doesn't know what he's saying. He's he utters mysteries in the spirit. You know, he not even he knows what he's saying. So his his uh, if he's just doing that, his mind is unfruitful. So what he says. So what will I do? I will pray with my spirit, like I'll pray in tongues. And I'll pray with my mind also. So I'll, I'll speak out in tongue. I will pray in my, in his prayer language or his tongue. Yep. And then he'll also be praying in his mind, which is actually what I'm doing like 90% of the time whenever I pray in tongues is I'll, I'll pray in tongues. Maybe I don't have the words for what I'm saying, but I can, and then I am thinking through, you know, Lord, would you, bl- would you bless this person in this way? Would you keep them from temptation? Would you do these, you know, and I can, I'm, I can put words on it now because I'm actually thinking in words. I, I've always taken him to mean that that he's you know I've, I praise with praise in tongues and I praise with my mind I, I pray in tongues and I pray with my mind I'm waffling on what I think he's saying okay. I mean he's he's talking about the context of the church so if one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret so that people can be edified and can say amen that's pretty clear yeah, yeah. that's pretty clear for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Okay, got that. Get that. What am I to do then? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. And that's where, what does he mean by that? Is he saying that I will, does he mean by that I will interpret my my spiritual prayer? and I will then interpret? So that's the confusing thing is, is like, is he, is he, uh, is this tongues going on? Just, he's, he's just keeping it in his head, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Speaking tongues in his head, and then he'll just, then he'll open his mouth and give the interpretation so nobody even knew it was tongues. That would be so weird. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but that, that's what I'm getting at. So maybe I'm, the way in which I kind of read this, though, is that even uh, when I pray right. in church, in English... Yeah. With my mind, I'm. I think I, I'm still praying in the spirit. Yeah, I do too. So, I mean, so long as you're praying, uh, your prayers align with the, the desires will of, God. of the spirit. Yep, yeah. yep, exactly. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I'm getting at this. So, what's the what's the uh, what I'm reading from this? And I, I I admit that this is hard to interpret. At least for me, it is. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm saying that the solution to this problem that Paul is saying is just pray in known language in the Spirit. Yeah. Because because doing that is both... It hits both. It hits mind and spirit. Yeah, sure. I think he's probably addressing the Corinthians. Maybe we're praying in tongues loudly during a, a sermon or when other things were going on because he's addressing a lot of misuse or like just misconduct of the gifts. And so it's like, if you're going to pray in tongues, if you want to exercise that gift, pray. Well, first he's going to say, let him speak to himself and to God. Keep your voice down, as he's going to say later on. But uh, in this case, he's like, I t- this is good instruction for a tongue speaker who practices by themselves. It's like, well, don't just don't just pray in in your in your tongue because your mind will be unfruitful. Pray in, pray in tongues and with your mind. Pray sing praise in your tongue. Just sing praise with your mind. That's at least how I've taken it. Yeah, but you're taking that in a in a in a private way. So right yes. now he's in the context of the of the church. Well, he says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray, he's going to go on to say like, or no, did he? He, w- he say- will, but he will. But right now he's still c- talking about the problem of tongues in the context of the church. Right. So uh, what I'm saying is that the solution to the problem, how I interpret this, is, is, just. You know, if you don't have the gift of interpretation, mm-hmm. just pray in the known language. In the known language, because you are still praying in the spirit with the mind. And maybe what I'm saying is, I'm I'm theologizing a little bit, and I'm saying that when you pray with your mind, based upon scripture, mm-hmm. you're still praying in the spirit. And maybe that's a uh, reading in. Yeah, no. Something. I don't know. I don't know if I could get there from what he's saying here, but I think we can move on. This this uh, little chunk, thirteen to thirteen to fifteen, fits really well with. Actually, I mean, uh, uh, onward. That's uh, to sixteen and seventeen. This all fits really well with the private prayer language understanding of tongues uh, a use of tongues because he's talking about how there's if you you know if you if you basically you can pray in tongues you can pray in your mind at the same time you you can praise in tongues you can praise in, in with your mind at the same time and then he goes on and we'll read more more um i don't know that this is a pivotal passage for either one of us in our views but no i don't think it is okay this is an interesting verse, verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yes. Why would he say that? Again, I'm coming from the perspective of he is... There's there's a couple ways he can mean this. He can mean this that, okay, they've elevated the gift of tongues so high that whoever is doing this tongue stuff in Corinth is like the top dog. And maybe Paul is just kind of saying, hey. I'm the top dog. I'm the top dog. (laughs) (laughs) I praise God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yeah. How does he know that? Mm -hmm. I mean, he calls himself the chief of sinners. How does he know he's the worst sinner? I think he's he's pretty 
He's pretty confident. <laughs> well, yeah, he's he's humble. Yeah. That, that's a mark of humility there. Yes. Uh, yes. He says he's the least of the apostles. He is yeah. um, the chief least the least of Christians, basically. And mm-hmm. then finally, the chief of sinners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, either he is he is trying to keep them from overcorrecting into saying, let's just throw out tongues altogether then. Yeah. Or he's he's saying that, I don't know, verse 18 is tough. I'm not going to lie. It's just tough. I mean, he sounds like he's saying he thanks God that he's praising tongues more than all of them. To me. I know, but think... <laughs> I'm just messing with you, bro. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> uh, yeah. But why does he say it is more of... Like, I think it's like what you said in the beginning. Like, you guys think you're, you know... Listen, guys. T- you think tongues is such a big deal. Whoever does it is so spiritual. Listen, I'm glad I th- I speak in tongues more than all of you, but, but I- in church, I'd rather speak one word in, in a known language than a million yeah. words in a tongue. Yeah. yeah. I think he's just setting it setting setting himself up for to, that for, for, the, a for verse 19. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nevertheless in church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And the Greek word that we translate as 10,000 is the highest it's the highest number that they have that you can write out in words. Yeah. So basically 10,000 is a way to say an infinite number of words. Yeah. Like there's no higher number. Yeah. It's kind of like infinity. Anyway, it's, um, we get our, our English word myriad. myriad oh, yeah. of things from it. Yeah, so, you were saying that. So this is like, is as like in your face as it gets. This is clearly where he's being very, guys, listen up. Yeah. When you're in church, it needs to be about intelligibility. Yes. It needs to be about it. Yeah, it does. And uh, and order. In order, yep. Everything has to be done in order. I, I think this also does it. It's 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 a verse that I that I that I go to for the private use of of tongues as well. Because he says, "I speak in. I thank God. I speak in tongues more than all of you." But in church, yeah. So he's like, "Listen, guys, I love I speak in tongues all the time, but in church, I do. This is how we behave." Yeah. So that paired with all the stuff we've talked about, right? So far, is kind of how people construct that right. view. So, brothers, do not be children in your thinking; be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written, "By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me," says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign f- not for unbelievers, but for believers. Again, people um, debate the interpretation of that. He, Paul quotes uh, Isaiah 2811. Mm-hmm. And people are asking, well, how is tongues a sign to non-believers? Well, when Israel was brought into exile by the, uh, I think the Assyrians um, in that that text. They, they didn't know their language. It was a foreign language to them. And so God was actually apparently declaring judgment on the Israelites through, through 
the language and through the Assyrians. Mm. But they couldn't understand it. Mm. And so it was judgment that they couldn't hear the voice of the Lord, that they couldn't hear what he was saying to them. It's judgment. So same in the same way, when a non-believer comes into your congregation and you're speaking in, you guys are speaking in tongues and nobody knows, they don't know what you're saying, well, God is basically, it's judgment for them, just as it was judgment for Israel. Israel was, was they were covenant transgressors at that time. They were, they were you could say, non-believers. Yeah. And God was declaring judgment on them, but they, they couldn't understand it. So yeah. the same as when a non-believer comes into your congregation and you're speaking in tongues and it's not interpreted. It's basically... It's not a good thing for them. It's not a good thing for them. Yeah. It's not. It's judgment for them. Yeah. They will not They will not hear the gospel. They will not hear um, what they need to hear. That only comes by way of prophecy, prophecy is what Paul is saying. So, yeah, so if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? And this is, this is so true with, like, Pentecostal hyper-charismatic movements. Yeah, it is, dude. I mean, how often... When you hear countless stories about all sorts of people getting jaded by these types of churches. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, what is going on here? This is just wonky. Yeah, it's craziness. And you think you're out of your mind. Yeah, just but as Paul a, says. A, a good question is, why would they think they're out of their minds if they were speaking known languages? You can recognize a known language. They, they would think that the Corinthians were, if everybody was speaking in tongues, they're like, wow, these people are educated. They're like highly educated. I don't know why they're all speaking in known languages. Like, I can't understand. But they wouldn't be like, think that they're out of their minds. They would think that they're super educated. Yeah, but think about, let's go back to Acts. The The disciples had the tongues of fire land on them. They thought they were drunk. They thought they were drunk. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's a good, yeah, that's, that's a good re- retort to that, I guess. Um, I guess somebody could say, you could say, well, they, they thought they were drunk because they were not just known languages in Acts. Well, again, you can't get that from Acts, though. You can't get that from that passage in Acts. You might could, you, you might could get it from, Cor- from Acts, <laughs> from later on in Acts with Cornelius. Yeah, not, think, not thinking that. But anyway. we, use, we use Scripture to interpret Scripture is what I'm saying. So your claim that it's hermeneutical nonsense and gymnastics of an illegal sort yeah. to say that uh, that acts tongues is includes not known languages could be true if you're just going based on one pa- one book or one passage well we've got the whole bible sam yeah so you're you're reading first corinthians into acts <laughs> i'm reading the whole i mean i'm using first corinthians to in, to inter- I'm using interpreting the bible with the bible yeah 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 i know what you're doing I know, what you're, I know what you're up to. <laughs> Smells fishy to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Uh, so, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, it's a good point. I think that Acts 2 is a good counterpoint to say, ah, they still thought they were drunk. Yeah. And because, again, it's just odd. Like, you walk into a, if we walked into a church in Kansas City... And all of a sudden, people are 
speaking Swahili. Speaking Swahili, and it's this is white dude or whatever, and yeah. like you're like, what is going on These here? These people are crazy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure they are. Uh, anyway, the point that we can agree on is that un- uninterpreted tongues in the congregation is a sign of judgment to the to the non-believer. Yes, no bueno for the non-believer. You don't want it to happen. Yeah, so stop telling your congregations, listener. Yeah, if if you are one of those, <laughs> <laughs> stop telling your for real. Stop telling your congregations. Everybody pray in your prayer language. Yeah, or worship leaders stop saying everybody sing in your prayer language. It might sound super spiritual or whatever. Not good. Not good. So clearly not good. But I know Pentecostals will say not not all Pentecostals. I don't want to lump them all in. But lots of lots of hyper charismatic people will say. Uh, that misuse this gift, they will say, "Well, he's talking about, uh, he's talking about a different type of tongues. You know, you can use your prayer language in church. Yeah, you know, without an interpretation. He's talking, you, you know, if you're using a known language, you need to have an interpreter, of course. I'm like, well, that's some weird, yep, gymnastics. That is some illegal gymnastics. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. What else? What else? Let's see here." But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to an account by all. And I kind of think, I kind of like what, seeing this is kind of what you, your story about that woman that said, the Lord sees you, blah, 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 and you, you were cut to the heart. Dude, that blew my mind. Yeah. 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 Or like Spurgeon you yeah. know, saying like, you stole those gloves, young man. And yeah. he's like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> The Lord sees me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. I've had my, I've had my. They called it they in uh, the charismatic slang is like having your mail read mm. by somebody. Yeah, and like there's no way you could know that. But at the same time, I was deeply encouraged that God saw me. I was terrified that He was really there. Yeah, but encouraged that He saw me. So okay. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to an account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Okay. Sure. Now, with them, brothers, verse 26, when you come together, each has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all these be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. And each in turn, and let some interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So what is he saying there? Speak to himself. What? He's like, listen, if you don't have an interpreter, don't speak in tongues. Go back to your place and speak to yourself and God. Why would he do that if it was a known language? What is he talking about? Well, I, I can keep in mind, like, the way in which you uh, just just think about tongues... Mm-hmm. In the same exact way as you are right now. Okay. But instead of, it, instead of it being not a known language, it is a known language. It doesn't okay. change. You know what I'm saying? The utility of it changes. Because like, if you're speaking in a known language, if that's your gift, you should probably go and learn that language so that every time you speak in tongues, you like know what you're saying and can like understand well, it. Well, maybe, maybe that's true then. I, I just... It doesn't seem to be what he's saying whenever he says, like, he not even he, he knows what he's saying. He utters mysteries in the spirit. And he's like, I'd rather speak. Maybe it's like Native American. And, you know, <laughs> I actually heard a guy. I've heard a guy say, 
I've heard a guy say that it's like, he's like, yeah, maybe the reason why these uh, linguists can't analyze it is because it's like dead languages and stuff. I'm like, well, that's interesting. But no, that's not that's anything. not a good argument because well, it's not, it's even, not a good de- argument even dead languages have the pattern of a language. Well, but like Attila the Hun wiped out. His point is like the, the, he, he wiped out entire, you know, ethnicities. Yeah. And there's no way we could even have any idea the look at the kind of languages that have been on earth um so he's saying maybe there you're, you're uttering some i think it's a terrible argument well sure all all my point is is that if it carson uses the word cognitive mm-hmm. often like a language even if we don't know that it was or is a language like language that actually carries meaning or that is cognitive it there's a pattern. There's a pattern. Yeah. Even if we don't know how to interpret it. Sure. We we do know that oh this is this is a language just like code, computer code or whatever. It's like oh this clearly is communicating some type of meaning. There's a pattern to it. Right. Whatever you know that's I'm not a linguist. I don't know all that. But no no, no I get what you're saying. Yeah. And yeah. they're saying that when you analyze tongues modern tongues, it's there's it's not. not. There's yeah. no pattern. There's no nothing. There's no way that there's any meaning conveyed. Well, also though, you have taught you have got guys like Todd Friel saying, we've seen you know reputable missionaries from masters come back and say, I don't, he doesn't say they're from masters, but he said they're reputable missionaries in a recent video he did, um, talking about how they've come back and they've seen you know they've seen what he would call biblical tongues where the Lord interprets, or you know yep, and, and, uh, a language a known language, and so it's like. Well then, what are we talking about? What are we debating? If it, if it, if it's going on, mm-hmm. if it's going on. Uh, and like I said at the very beginning, I'm open to it. Yeah, I'm open to to saying that is a gift that can be given. Right. I'm not open to saying I'm a cessationist as it pertains to uh, your definition of tongues. Okay, let's take tongues off the table then. What about healing? I think healings happen. Do are why would there not be the gift of he, the gifts of healings like Paul's talking? Again, about. I'm 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 coming from the perspective of that for the most part, those types of gifts are connected with times of revelation that were given. Okay. To confirm something, uh, a word from the Lord, the start of the church, the start of a nation, whatever. That's the biblical pattern. Okay. And so they're not as needed. In a context like today, yeah, there may be instances on frontline missions right. where I'm totally open. Sure, yeah. Like, okay, we're going to go to this crazy Ethiopian tribe, and they have a witch doctor, mm-hmm. and that witch doctor is doing some crazy hocus-pocus, and there's going to be another like battle of Moses and, the, and those and Pharaoh's priests. Sure. Hey, yeah. hey I, I'm not going to say that the Spirit isn't going to use this missionary Joe— Bob, whatever, and Susie to do some crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. Now you're just I, saying it's not normative for the. It's church not. It, it's not. It's not normative for the church. It's not normative for an individual even. Yeah. It's like let's just hype. Like I'm open to the possibility of me going overseas on mission, and like I'm in a situation. Yeah. Where I I discern that. It would glorify the Lord and advance the gospel for me to heal this person. 
yeah. for these people to see. Yeah. And maybe it's like a prophets of, you know, Baal and, and Elijah type of showdown going on. Mm-hmm. And the witch doctor is saying, no, he, he has the power, whatever. Yeah. And I go, Lord, would you help me here? Would you use me to heal this person? And I lay my hands on them and they're healed. Yeah. I'm, I'm open to that. Sure. Okay. I'm game. But just it just can't happen more than a certain amount of times for <laughs> if you. If it happens more than five times, no bueno. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? I mean, I'm saying that I I didn't go into that situation going. I have the gift of healing. Well, yeah, no, no, I don't. I don't think any. You, I think any true healer today goes into it saying, "God, I want to see. I want your power to be manifest. I want to show people your compassion. Like, would you please give me the gift of healing?" And then they go and. Any true healing, any true spiritual gift, in fact, like in in Jonathan Edwards, uh, he has this little book work called "The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God," and he goes through these. I wrote down these points. He wrote, "A true work of the Spirit of God exalts the true Christ. True Christ opposes Satan's interests, points people to the Scriptures, elevates truth, and results in love for God and others." So, like, I think that. Any true, any real gift of the spirit does all those five things. So I guess my question to you would be, if somebody, if if a gift is doing those things, and some like what, how many times can a person heal before they're a healer? Or do you think that just that doesn't happen more than once? Or no, I'm not even gonna say that. I I I I think I'm really slow to, yeah, put on the title. You're a healer. Yeah. Yeah, I would be too. That's a little bit presumptuous. That'd to me. be super weird for somebody to be like, "I'm a healer of the Lord Jesus Christ, and here I am to, to heal you." But it's, it's like, but it's not. But I'm saying there's there's a difference though. Like I'm saying, it wouldn't be odd to say, "Hey, I'm a Bible teacher." Right. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be because that's a that's a resident gift. That's a gift you have control over. I mean, you can always teach. You may not always pierce the heart, but like you can always teach. You can't always heal. Not even Paul could always heal. Right. Um, I mean, they left. They left Philetus and uh, what's his name? Oh man, I'm, I mean, it's gonna hit me right after. Left him. Left him sick yeah. because they couldn't heal him. Uh, Timothy tells Timothy he takes some wine for his stomach. Some yeah. cessationists will say like that's because the. Gifts were dying off. Even the gift of healing was being removed from Paul. Yeah. But at the end of Paul's life, at the on the on the isle, uh, island of Malta, he heals the whole island, and he didn't heal and do a bunch of miracles at the end end of his life that we know of because he was literally in chains about chains about to be beheaded. So yeah. it's like you can't use those things. Yeah, healing's a little bit of an odd one for me. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm a little bit nervous about it because I tend to. Like, what you win people with is what you win them to, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm even a little bit slow. A lot of people say, oh, healing, it's it's for the work of evangelism. Sure. And, I mean, you can see that in in the Bible. Yeah. It verifies the message. Yeah. Uh, But today, I mean, but even in the Bible, you still have all sorts of people following Christ because of the miracles. Right. It doesn't keep them from doing them, though. Right. You know, it doesn't keep them from doing them. So, if I know that that it's not the it's not the miracle that saves. Yeah. It's the gospel preached. Right. Then, I don't see any need 
today to do, because I don't need to validate that I'm an apostle. I don't need to validate that I'm Christ because I'm not. Right. <laughs> I'm just a man. Yeah. And I know that the message saves because God uses the message. The Spirit uses the message of the gospel to save. Yes. So I don't, again, the purpose of, of healing for this for the sake of validating the message doesn't make sense anymore to me. I, I, I would disagree with you. I see what you're saying. It sounds like you're saying, like, G- Christ, the apostles, they healed, they did, the, they did miracles to validate that they were from God. From God. Yeah. Had this were... a special authority? Yes, I w- like. I don't see that explicitly in in the scriptures. I know you you might say like. You might have a few proof texts you could throw out there, but I think the apostles like the gift, the miracle, the the gifts of the Spirit and the and miracles, only ever point to Christ. They were to authenticate the message, and so I would say like, I think that the the apostles were never authenticating themselves. They were authenticating, the miracles were authenticating that the power was from God. Yeah. And so I, I would say, like, if Jesus needed those, we do too. It, or we can you make use of those too. Like, if Paul could use those to validate the what message. What do you think about the argument? Well, I got two arguments. Okay. As it pertains to healing. Another reason why I'm slow with it is because we, we have scriptures that say that the Antichrist is going to do miracles like in in this grain. Yes. And that he's even going to have a moral wound and he's going to be healed from it. Yeah. And it appears as though he came back from the dead. That's spooky. And yeah. he's going to deceive many because of it. Mm-hmm. So, so the enemy can also do this type of miracle. Right. The miracle of healing. Yeah. The body. Yes. To deceive. For sure. So that's where I go. I'm just a little bit like i rather just not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, well, well let, me, I mean? let me give you this. Let me push back in this way. So the M- Muslims give alms. Muslims fast. So that, does that mean we shouldn't? Or like Mormons preach sermons, and they even read the Bible. Yeah, so does that mean we shouldn't? Yeah, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater you're saying right, to me. Right, right. I mean, there's always been yeah. false healings. There's always been Touché. false miracles. Yeah. Touche. Or even like we were talking about Jairus and Jambres. I know that, that he calls them that. The uh, the the false. Magicians. I think you're right. The false magicians they did false miracles. Uh, that doesn't mean that w- that uh, you know Moses they, did, they did real miracles for a false cause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and going back to Jonathan Edwards' like list of the authentications for a work of the Holy Spirit, the gift you'll know that a gift is the gift. It's the real gift of healing if it glorifies Christ, increases well, love. Well, if for... it's complemented by the right message. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, a prophet's false. What is what does Paul say? You know, a, a prophecy is false if, uh, or sorry, even in Deuteronomy, you'll know the prophet is false if he leads you away yeah, from, yeah. even if the miracle is real. Even if the miracle is real. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kind of fleshing things out in my own mind. Me too. I'm glad we're talking um, about this. Yeah. I think, I think part of it too is just the... And I don't, you know, again, because the Lord, the the Spirit is the one who chooses and apportions these gifts according to His desires. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it might just be that through common grace, because our medicine has advanced so much, that there isn't a need as much as there was once was. Right. 
Maybe, maybe not. I don't want to really put any emphasis or any weight okay. on that. Okay. Uh, and maybe it's a matter of of experience, even of going. Hey, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not going to say that somebody's going to come into our church in a wheelchair who can't walk, and the elders lay hands on this person and and they stand up and walk. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, great. Yeah. I'm not going to say that's not that's not going to happen. It could happen. Um but you've never seen it. I've never seen it. Right. Uh And it's one of those things that doesn't seem like we preaching is absolutely needed. We need the instruction of the word. We need to be taught the word. Yeah. We need to be encouraged in the faith by our brothers. Yeah, we need we need deacon types to to serve the body and take care of our our physical needs, and maybe you could put healing in there, but we also know that we are our bodies are failing; they're dying. Yeah, we're going to die. Um. So, I'm more wrestling with the necessity, the need of healing. Like, where does it fit in the local church? Yeah. Because yeah. every local church that I've ever been in, there's no, there's no, certainly there's no healer or yeah. somebody who says I have the gift of healing, but there's, there's also no like obvious healing taking place. Yeah. I've been at a church where there was obvious healings taking place. There was not like I was paralyzed from the waist down and I got up, Yeah, you know, but there was like uh, back issues healed or like I had poison ivy and it was healed one time which was nuts to me. And I still doubt it sometimes. I had poison ivy all up my leg and had it prayed for and it was gone. Um, But I still, I mean, even right now while I'm telling you this, I'm like, was it really, did it really happen? Which, I mean, that's how it's always been for me when I've received a healing. I have to write it down. I have to like, because the healing itself is, is not, it's it's not necessarily the point. the, The healing should show, it is a manifestation of the spirit if it's the gift of healing. So it is, I think it's essential in just in that, like you were saying, we need the gift of teaching because we need to be instructed by the word. I think the word instructs us. The The word, well, the word us. is the means by which we're sanctified. Right. Exactly. Healing doesn't sanctify us. No. And healing should always point back to the word. Yeah. And the word also points us to he, to that healing should be taking place. You know, that's what I'm saying. The The word instructs us to, uh, in how healing should take place. Or that, that healing is a gift of the Spirit. Um, you know, that we should anoint sick people with oil. The mm-hmm. elders go to them pray and, for and them. pray for their healing. Yeah. So, like, the, the word points us to healing. Like, I think that's the big thing with prophecy, too. People like Phil Johnson or like, uh, most, most mainstream cessationists will say, well, if you have the gift of prophecy, you have to have an open canon. And it, it violates the uh, the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. But the Scriptures, I'm a continuationist because I, j- I have, I've studied the Scriptures, and I uh, that's this is the what I've come out with. Is yeah. I, I think that the gifts are for today. Uh, there's no, there's no explicit implication or or command to cease the gifts or that they will cease at a certain time, other than at the return of Christ. And so it's it's the Scriptures themselves that point me to the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of healing, tongues being operative today, and those gifts should always 
point me back to the scriptures. If there, if those gifts, like if if there's a healer, so called, and he's elevating himself or leading you away from the scriptures, just run. Yeah, because that guy's got demons. Yeah. Yeah. So we were. Where were we at? We were. We were. We were on like verse. Well, here 29. we go. 29, yeah, yeah. So let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. So, again, my argument is that that I'm going to be consistent with what I said before. The gifts had not ceased in the first century church. The apostles were still alive. Mm-hmm. Scripture was still being given. Prophecies were still being given. But as soon as the scripture was done, the canon was closed, and the apostles died, then those things began to cease. Those things began to... Those manifestations started to dwindle. What proof text would you give to back that up, though? Because It's not a proof a text. I hear that, but I hear that a lot, that, like, as soon as the apostles died, or as soon as the canon was closed, then the gift ceased. I'm like, where do you get that? Because, again, my definition of prophecy is the same as that of the Old Testament. So that quote I read from D.A. Carson, right. I'm saying, fundamentally... The definition hasn't changed. New, Te- New Testament prophecy is that. Well, why were they having to weigh what was said? For the very same purpose, pur- purpose, to figure out if this person is a true prophet or not. I can see why where you would get that. Okay, but how were there women prophesying? Why would There was women them? prophetesses in the Old Testament. But this is different, right? Women, women can prophesy. Women prophesied in the Old Testament. They can prophesy in the in the in the first century. I'm saying in the in this time. I agree. So you would say it's not but always again. But even Paul even says, but they can't they can't weigh the prophes, prophecies. They can't speak in the weighing of it. That's his point later on. So you would say in the Old and the New Testament, or no, in the New Testament, it's not a author, prophecy is not always authoritative. It is. You say it always is. If you are a true prophet and deemed a true prophet and you receive a word from the Lord, it's authoritative. So, okay. So you would say, when he's saying, let the others weigh what is said, hold fast to what is true. Yep. Abstain from all evil. Yep. You'd say he's Because it is authoritative. Because it's prophecy. But but if you're you're weighing it, you're weighing a prophecy, and you're tossing out what is, what is, you know, what's what's bad, you're holding to what's true. how are you able to do that if it, if all of the prophecy that people are getting is is uh, authoritative? Okay, where, where are you? Where are we at again? Uh, we were on. Here we go. So, uh, let two or three prophets. Are you speak. are you quoting a different text of scripture? Oh, hold fast to what is. Evil, that yeah, one? Yeah. That, yeah, that's in Thessalonians. Yeah. Which, is, should, should, should we even go there? Do you want me to pull that one up? Well, you should pull it up because okay. I think it helps bolster your your position. Yeah, yeah, I think it will. Um, 
hold fast to what is true. So Thessalonians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First Thessalonians five twenty one. Here we go. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So yeah, so you why, why, nothing why, in there would make you think that would contradict what I'm saying. Why, so but why would he have to tell people to not despise prophecies? Because just like in Corinth, I'm t- I'm I'm saying that we're still in the first century church. I'm saying that the gift and the office of prophet is still a thing. Right. God gives to the church the evangel the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherd, teachers. Okay, so uh, so whenever he's saying like, don't despise it, do not despise prophecies, you're saying he's saying like, don't despise people tr- trying to test out whether or not they are true prophets. No, don't despise prophecies. Saying when somebody who is a a, a prophet, like Nathan was a prophet, like right. Elijah was a prophet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they prophesy. Yeah. The Lord says, don't despise it. But then he says, but test everything. Why would you have to test something? Because just in the old, like in the Old Testament, they had to test the prophet. Yeah, but you didn't you didn't have to test Isaiah. You knew he was the prophet of God. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, like I don't think that it is the same. It doesn't seem to be the same in the New Testament, like the same thing now that we're talking through it. He's saying that, like in this in this verse, he says to test everything, hold fast to what is true, abstain from evil. And then in the other one, he says, okay, here's here here is it maybe. Read it again. Uh, twenty one. Let's see. Uh, do not quench the spirit. Yep. Okay, that's one thing. Do not despise prophecies. Okay, another thing. But test everything. Does it does it have the It's just comma but test everything. It's just comma but yeah, test do, everything. Do not despise prophecies, comma, but test everything. Semicolon. Hold fast to what is good. Period. Abstain from every form of evil. Yeah. So again, just like in Corinthians where Paul is saying you gotta weigh these things. Right. I'm making the I'm making the assumption that that people are prophesying who have not yet been like con- considered vetted. yeah vetted yeah okay and that we okay Joe has never prophesied before he's prophesying we got to weigh what he's saying okay that's that I mean that's an interpretation yeah it I is an that's interpretation a solid, that's a solid it, it's not like impo- it's not an impossible interpretation no it's not at all and so all I'm saying is that I'm keeping consistency yeah. between the the definition yeah. Again, like I said in the very beginning, tongues from Acts 2, keeping that consistent. Yep. Prophecy from the Old Testament, keeping that consistent. Agreeing that these gifts were m- being manifested yeah. in people in the first century. Yeah. And I, I would even say under the under the authority of the apostles still, okay. that, that revelation was being given, mm-hmm. God was speaking, yeah. scripture was being written— Something was being, the church was being started. It was being built. Mm-hmm. The foundation was being laid. Once the foundation's laid, and clearly, then we know that the apostles. We say, well, yeah, that office has ceased, in in the uppercase version. Yeah. So I'm saying then, okay, these other gifts too 
have ceased. Yeah. Why? Why tongues then? Because as Paul defines, I think, in 1 Corinthians, he's equating interpreted tongues with prophecy, as Peter does in Acts 2. Therefore then, if I think that prophecy is Old Testament prophecy, revelation from the Lord, mm-hmm. therefore then tongues is also revelation from the Lord. And so it has to cease. It has to cease as well. Yeah, I can see how you get there. It's a consistent argument, and it, you can disagree with it. No, it's, it's, it is consistent. I do disagree with it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, bec- but because, like in Ephesians, when you have the list apostles and it goes down, the pro- pro- prophets is in there. Yeah. So I'm it's, saying I'm saying apostles and prophets ceased. But it says there that God has given those to the church for the upbuilding of the church until we all are um, like uh, achieve the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're not there. We we weren't there then. We're not there now. But keep in mind that the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers, they all are doing the same thing. They're all given to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Right. So it's because they have the same purpose and role, mm-hmm. then... The, some of them are allowed to cease and others. Yeah. I, I just, I can't get that from Ephesians. But you have to get you have to get that apostles have ceased. Yes, in that in that sense. So that, yes. therefore then, if, if apostles have ceased, the, you, you, you should be... Open to the fact that I don't think that I guess I don't I don't think that the I I I think that probably the office of apostle has ceased definitely the office of like authoritative inherent apostle has ceased but I guess that's why I would need to need to say there is a gifting of apostle that that's that does continue but then notice too when you start to move and you start to read the New Testament epistles Mm -hmm. one. Outside of 1 Corinthians and Acts, you don't see tongues. Right. You, you see a few instances of don't, like, despise prophecy. But right. you never see you never see prophet or the prophet as a leader of the church. Never. For instance, a good example, the very beginning of Philippians. Paul addresses his letter to the Philippians. Yeah. He says to the elders, and to the deacons, mm-hmm. and to the saints, I think. Um, I'm going to pull that he up. Never, I know for sure he never says to the elders, the deacons, and the prophets. Right. Or the, to the apostle in blank. Right. Or whatever. Never. Never. He never so says that. Yeah. So that, that he's starting to, we're, we see very, we have very strong evidence that moving into, as the church is developing and growing, and, and, and it's been built, and it's been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, mm-hmm. moving forward, now what what is our, who are our church leaders? What are, what, what are, what are the gifted men that, will edify us and, and lead us. It, well, it's the it's the office of elder, which we say is equal. It's the same as the overseer and pastor. That's all one man. That's one office. Mm-hmm. And then on the service side of things, it's the deacon. Right. So that's just run-of-the-mill Baptist ecclesiology there. Right. That's yeah. like widely agreed upon. Yes. So we don't have, nobody even thinks outside of like Pentecostal stuff, that we should have the uh, office a of prophet, prophet that there isn't the even somebody that has the title prophet. Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not arguing for that. Whereas, yeah. whereas in the Old Testament, there was clearly an office of prophet. Yeah, and then in the first century, as we read through Acts and stuff, we see people doing, acting as doing prophets, the stuff. doing Agabus the stuff. Agabus was doing yep. the stuff. Yeah, but because there was no longer like 
the prophet Agabus. Well, it's because the Lord poured out his spirit, the, de- the democratization of the spirit. He poured out his spirit on all flesh. Yeah. So yeah. there's all I'm saying, you're starting to see a pattern of of a transition taking place. Yeah. And even think about this. Even think about the transition of at, at, in the Old Testament, you know, Israel was God's people. Mm. And and under that covenant, revelation was open. Isn't it interesting to think about? Revelation. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 That they had open revelation. Yes. So it, it wasn't like it's always been a closed book no. forever. Right, right. We are people of a closed book. Yes. So there, there is just a radical, that is radically different. That's just yeah. something that's really crazy. It is different. That we are people of a closed book and a closed canon. And, and that has to shake things up. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, so I don't I have agree. a proof text. I don't have a proof text. I'm theologizing. Right. I'm, I'm inferring off of patterns in scripture and that's actually that's actually you should do that. Yeah, I'm thinking historically. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and when I put it all together, I come to my conclusion that oh, I think these things have ceased. Yeah. Will they all, will they forever be ceased? Hmm, maybe not. Maybe when we near the the return of Christ, there'll be a an uptick in these things because some crazy some seals are getting you know opened up and some wild things are happening. So should we pray for them then? And should we earnestly seek just seek them? Yeah. Uh, I I am not so sure what Paul means by that to the point to where I don't know how to really apply that. I don't think he means I should be sitting in my bed at night or on my hands and my knees alone praying for praying for what like the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy. Yeah. See, and why I why I don't know what to do with that because he just said the spirit chooses the spirit of portions. Yeah, no. So pray to this, pray to the Father through Jesus Christ that the Spirit give you the gift of healing. I don't want the gift of healing. Why? It's a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why, from Scripture, would you not want the gift of healing? Because in Scripture, throughout Scripture, the only the only things that we're told about the gift is to. It's a great question. It's them. a great question. I don't know why I don't want it. And and that's another that's another thing I, w- I think is worth mentioning. It not one place does Paul ever say. Be cautious of the gift of prophecy, especially in the latter days. You know, be be. It's going to cease. The gift of tongues is going to cease. Well, I get that. I get that. I get that. No, why would he not? Why would he not? Well, why? Why would no epistle? There's, there's all sorts that. of why, why not, why not, why not. Like, think of like the whole issue on women pastors. No, oh, I know. Like, yeah, why, yeah. why not make it more clear, Paul? <laughs> why not make it like? Why not say? And when you think that a woman <laughs> should be able to, you know, be an in elder in the future, like, like all these right. things. But I mean, or he's why already... not say? And also. We there is one God in three persons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Holy Spirit is God. The Son is God. The Father is God. There is one God. Wouldn't that be nice to have? We 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 put that in our creeds because that's what we believe the scriptures are saying. Well, because it's taught explicitly without without grouping it up like that and calling it the Trinity. It's taught pretty well, pretty clearly. Well, yeah, it's taught clearly. Yeah, 
I wouldn't say explicitly. No, because it doesn't. The words aren't there. Right. Yeah. So all I'm saying is I'm doing the same type of same sort of thing. Yeah, but my my case, it is it is it's 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 clear. You desire the gifts, pursue the gifts. Do not despise prophecy. Do not do not forbid tongues. So I'm saying like, why would why would it, why would that be all we get and not even a hint of? And be cautious of this one. All I'm saying is he's saying that in in the context of, like, if that was in these other epistles, yeah, that same encouragement or exhortation. Thessalon- it's in Thessalonians. That do not despise prophets, do not quench the spirit. Sure, you know. Yeah, but that's not that's not that's not saying that's not the same as saying. You know, pray that you might prophesy. I don't know that you, but he doesn't have to make, he doesn't have to say the same command twice. Like when the Lord Jesus only gives the institute of command, uh, or the, he only gives the uh, communion one, one time. And then it's only taught on one time outside of, outside of that. Uh, Paul talks about it once, as far as I know. I mean, it might be referenced another place, maybe, but it's only taught on once. And that doesn't mean just because in the later epistles he doesn't mention communion uh, that that it somehow ceased, you know. Once you've got a command in the Bible, I think it's our duty to, like, pursue it. Yeah, that's, I, that's I, just I, 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 know, I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. yeah, just because something shows up once doesn't mean that it's not enough. Right. I get that because people will throw that argument out about the millennium. Well, the millennium is only talking about once in Revelation and nowhere else. Like, well, once once is enough. Once is enough. Yeah. And so, what are we getting at here? Um, we should probably read the end of our thingy. Oh yeah. Well, I did have a podcast on what this is saying about manhood and womanhood when we get to the womanhood stuff. I don't really want to rehash all that. Okay. Yeah, we don't. I mean, we agree on that. Yeah, we agree 100%. on that. And what we're what we're basically saying at the very end of that is that when it comes to the wane of prophecy, women are to remain silent. Yeah, that's the gist of it. Yeah, yeah, that was really helpful. I know to a community group member you were talking talking about because she wondered if this meant that she shouldn't talk at all in church. Oh yeah, yeah. And you were able to help her with that. Yep. So, I mean. Yeah, I think my voice kind of hurts. <laughs> my throat's sore. Uh, but okay, I mean, I'm content. I'm I'm content with. That's why I believe what I believe. Yeah, <laughs> me me too. I bumbled through. I mean, we yeah. this one especially we bumbled through. Yeah, we bumbled through it. But hey, oh, I mean, whatever. It's up to you, listener, to determine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> read your Bible. Read these books. You know. D.A. Carson's Showing the Spirit's great. Um, uh, Thomas Schreiner's Spiritual Gifts, great. Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Yep, that will be a continuationist, yep. Yeah. Um, For cessationist arguments, you can read a lot of, like, more historical systematic theologies that are going to put out cessationist arguments. B.B. Warfield. Uh, Yep. Uh, A newer systematic theology, it's three volumes, by Joel Beakey, um... Oh yeah, like a reform systematic theology, yeah. Yeah, just know, published in the last few years. Cool. They have a, a section defending cessationism on that. Cool. In there, so yeah, there's just different places that you can read. Yeah. For yourself, and well, obviously and commentaries. Why did we do this at all, though? Because we know we're going to disagree. 
why do we do this at all? I feel like it's important for people to. Well, I think one, because some people create uh, or elevate like the type of disagreement that we have. Yeah. We see it as a minor disagreement. Right. To the point to where we can be in the same local church and have unity and community and brotherhood. Do evangelism. Do evangel- like and yeah. be totally like I have no issue doing any ministry with you. Right. Right. Or feeling uncomfortable around you or like Mason's gonna go off his rocker. No, this doesn't change how I feel. I mean, I yeah. hate you. I've always yeah, hated yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, no, I'm just kidding. I love you, bro. So brother. good. And so yeah, we I guess we want to show that because a lot of people say they will blow this out of proportion, the type of a disagreement that we're having. Yes. Yes. And they will make it like a first level issue. On both sides. On both sides. On yeah. both sides. Yeah. Now yeah, there are bigger disagreements like between me and a in a assemblies of God person. Yeah. Yes. That's a different disagreement. It's so teriological. Yeah. Really. Well, and it's 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 a two-tier type of Christianity. Yes. You need to have the second experience of the baptism of the spirit and you will speak in tongues and everybody then therefore will. Right. Like, okay, that's a bigger disagreement. I probably can't be in the same local church as you. Yeah. So and to be real, most people in assemblies of God's they, the churches, they won't even know that that's a doctrine that they've that their church signs off on. Yeah, like James River, those mega churches, yeah. those people have no idea. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah, exactly. So I guess that's why we we're doing it. One, it's fun. Yeah, it well, is. two, it's fun. That was number one. Number two, it's fun. It's fun to discuss these things. Uh, the Bible speaks about these things. Yeah. Therefore, then we need to think about these things, and we need to we need to wrestle with them. Like yeah. God has revealed a, a, a limited amount of revelation. It's sufficient for us. If it's in the Bible, well, then it serves a purpose. Yes. So we have to wrestle with it. That's great. Those are a few reasons, I guess. Any other reasons why we had this discussion? Yeah, I think to display, like you said, to display that we can have unity with differing views on the gifts. And um, I, I, we also thought it was really important to... To debunk some of the yeah. faulty uh, uses, misuses, and abuses of the gifts, and then, uh, yeah, it's in the Bible. It's yeah. they're important. That's the only reason why either one of us are passionate about this right. topic is because it's in the Bible. We're Bible guys. You were Bible guys. It's easy to. It's also, it's also something where if you get it wrong, if you get it really wrong, you could you could be in dangerous territory yeah, yeah. on either side. Yep. So. Well, I'm content. Me too. Okay. I'm content, you Asianist. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm going to see. Enough from you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening to the Preach and Persuade podcast. If you haven't yet left a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever you listen to this on, that would be great. If you could leave five stars, man, I would really like that. (laughs) (laughs) And write just an amazing review. Leave comments that are like, "This is so, this is so great." Changed my whole life. Yeah, changed my whole life. I got healed while I was listening. Yeah, to yeah. This podcast. <laughs> Don't say that. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about my ministry, you can visit afci.us. If you want to leave a donation, you can do that on that website as well. But have a great day. Bye.